minutes, 15 seconds. Joel, thanks for jumping in with us. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. So, Joel, we're going to just jump right in and say you work in a family company, but I think you should introduce yourself. Tell us, tell the listeners, who are you? What do you do? Uh, my name is Joel Patton. I'm the director of HVAC for Vision Mechanical. Uh, I am a third generation sheet metal worker. So I have watched my grandfather hit tin, my dad hit tin, and myself hit tin. And I've seen the evolution of uh, the HVAC industry from when my grandpa was doing uh, the entire dew point early detection radar in the in the Northwest Territories, uh, where he was building everything by hand and using gas boilers and everything that are literally putting out as much carbon emissions as a small car to when my dad started doing it in the 70s and it started getting better. We started seeing 70 to 80% efficient equipment. And uh, I watched him move that to high efficient equipment. And then I've taken over and now I'm installing these beautiful high efficient furnaces as well as moving to net zero uh, equipment such as air water heat pumps, uh, cold uh, climate air source heat pumps, and also some really awesome, uh, great products that are a little bit different than the mainstream. So it's been a really great uh, transition for me watching my family as well do it and uh, now helping another family company uh, exceed in it as well. Well, Joel, that's, that, I mean, that's a beautiful story and especially the multi-generational piece uh, because, I mean, it's almost like, you know, we're, we're calling this podcast Net Zero to Hero because, you know, Net Zero is a provincial, or, yeah, provincial target 10 years from now, but it's like we could go back in time and that's where your grandfather started, like before our 2000 was even a thing, like, and your dad in the 70s, like they've seen the whole progression that here you are just taking it to the next step. Completely. And then as well, too, that goes progression with my education is as I'm a journeyman sheet metal worker, journeyman gas fitter. Uh, but actually, my father was the uh, chief building official for the city of Kelowna that actually was the one to tell me about, hey, Joel, you should look into this new step code. Uh, there's this program called a certified energy advisor. You should do it. And me being a good son said, yes, dad, how high would you like me to jump? And uh, I went and did the Certified Energy Advisor course um, here in Kelowna. Um, so I was able to get that information and get that education. Um, and then about a year ago, two years ago now, um, my I said, Dad, I'm far injured from my football days. Uh, you know, I might need to look at getting off the tools. What do you think? And he says, you know what, Joel? He goes, why don't you look at doing building inspections? I said, great, Dad, be exactly like you. I said, let's do it. So I actually became a level one building inspector for part nine as well. So I'm a registered qualified building official with the BOABC. I'm a like, certified energy advisor with the training, not through NRCAN, so I can't legally do it. And then also a journeyman sheet metal gas fitter. And one night I was sitting there and said, oh, how can I put all my education together? And it turned into Stepco Mechanical. And it's uh, really taken off so far. And I hope to see it go further. Yeah. And Joel, you know, just for the listeners sake, we, we met because uh, you were doing a presentation for the Canadian Home Builders Association here in the Okanagan. I believe it was their step up program or step yeah, up yeah. webinar. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, it was my deep dive into uh, mechanical, um, uh, into mechanical design. And which is such an interesting uh, point of discussion and why I'd love to speak with you today is discovering as we move towards step code, we're making homes naturally more airtight. Uh, which 
puts a lot more demand on on the ventilation systems in a building. Uh, people are used to their 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 homes breathing, uh, but typically it's breathing through the cracks in the building envelope as much as it is through the ventilation system. And and now we're saying, hey, your building can't have cracks because it has to pass a blower door test. Uh, but that means it has to breathe and it has to breathe properly. And all of a sudden, we have some energy targets. So that's where. It's not just that big old hot water tank that I grew up. It was white around the middle and then had a blue strip on top and these giant furnaces that were loud when they turned on. I mean, that's what I grew up uh, in homes like that. So, so the mechanical systems are absolutely mission critical to what we're doing to make livable, energy efficient homes in the future. And uh, I'd love to hear what's standing out for you as far as the key parts of the systems. You said mini splits and so on. Just just talk to me about what's important to know here. Well, the biggest thing actually coming into when we're designing the new mechanical systems for our new builds, uh, especially when we start talking step three, four, and five, is where people are forgetting is that the building envelope is the largest factor in sizing your mechanical system. And as you said, uh, this isn't the R2000 days or even earlier, where if we had a windy day, uh, your curtains were, uh, you know, blowing on the inside, but the do- windows closed. It's just, it's something that we had to take in was that very high heat loss calculations, very high heat gain calculations. So what has happened now in moving towards uh, into these mechanical designs in these step three, four or five homes is we're seeing that the air tightness of the building is a direct correlated effect to the design and the functionality of the system and of the house. So what we're seeing right now is when we're looking at step three, step four and five, we're seeing a reduction around 25% of heat loss uh, for the building. And we're having what's called the glass jar effect. And the glass jar effect is, is now you have this beautiful home that's airtight. You're getting all this solar heat gain from the sun. Uh, Each person in the building is giving off roughly 144 BTUs per hour, uh, as well as your kitchen equipment, your laundry equipment, even your furnaces or whatever your air handler are. Now that heat is now collecting in your home, but it's got nowhere to go. So what we've seen is a flip from heat loss being the biggest contributor to sizing the mechanical system. Now it has been flipped to the air conditioning side. And how are we taking away this heat loss with proper ventilation and proper equipment such as this day, we can talk heat pumps, we can talk ductless splits, which is our form of heat pump, uh, we can talk radiant cooling, whatever source of the customer would like to see. Um, that's actually having a bigger effect in today's world is literally making sure that your house is that glass jar, but it is getting cooled appropriately. And we're seeing ductwork in that being sized to the cooling load. So I got a couple of questions that came right out of the gate. I'm going to let you weave this into the discussion as it sees, as you see fit, you know, so if, if, if the building wall is what's going to have a major impact on the furnace and air conditioner, you end up buying at what point should the people imagining building a home be talking to their mechanical contractor about uh, which system they should be specking. Like, sure. along the line, can I come up with a whole set of plans ready to build, get almost get the framing done and then call you and say, Hey, can I get a furnace that fits or, or where should we include you in the process? So what's very interesting is I'm actually uh, one of the only Fortis BC rebatable mechanical designers in uh, Kelowna. There are many across BC. Most of them 
being engineers. I am not an engineer. Uh, I've been given this rebate due to the fact of my education. So how this rebate actually works is perfectly for where you come in, is that what you need to do is you find a Portis rebatable mechanical designer, you contact them before building permit. And this is where the homeowner, the builder, and the mechanical designer start talking and going, what is going to be best for my home? This is what I'm trying to look for. So uh, let's take an example is I'm doing a very high end step five passive is what I'm going to call it, but it's too big to be passive 6,000 square foot dwelling. Uh, the customers, they want a bulkhead. They didn't want anything. They wanted an in-floor radiant system um, for heating. And then they wanted that being coupled with ductless splits for cooling. Um, and then as well, I also gave them an option of possibly going to in-ceiling cooling uh, with what's called as a Becca mat, which is very expensive. Um, and so what we did is with that house, with being the mechanical designer, I took their wants and their needs and then came up with a design that meets both an energy efficiency target but also the wants and needs of the client and this is where clients are going to have to be very able to compromise because radiant systems and i will be very honest you have a primary radiant heating system in your home it is a very uncomfortable home because when you talk forced air be it cold air source heat pump be it a furnace be it whatever you have with ductwork you can condition the air with filtration you can add humidity to the air. You can do many things to make the quality of life in the air you're breathing much more comfortable. But with a radiant system, you can't. So what you have to do is in this case, you would go radiant in floor, but you would go from an HRV, which only transfers heat recovery, and you would move to an ERV, which also transfers moisture. Because the biggest thing is moisture is what makes comfort. And so it's really being able at the mechanical side to just figure out what they're wanting, pick the equipment through, and then understand that the customer is going to have to live in this house. So you better be able to understand what conditions the human body need to have. And as you go through and selecting, uh, some customers want forced air because they want certain aspects of it. Some customers want ductless splits on the, uh, on the wall because that's what they want. Uh, but at the end of the day, we can design anything uh, based off that. And obviously, there's going to be budget constraints as well as design constraints. Uh, you know, you, you made a a really uh, a relevant point for example if you don't want bulkheads you know those little drop things that hang down you almost hit your head on it if you're tall uh but that's where all the venting is run from your furnace in the basement for example you want to delete those there's ways to do it you can have really elegant discrete solutions but obviously they're more expensive but i just want to call a little time out because i can hear the alarm bells going on um on all the acronyms so hrv ERV, radiant floor heating, uh, we got ductless mini splits. And and so I know that radiant floor heating is the the tubes of glycol that run through the concrete slab so you can warm the concrete slab to be the temperature that you want so that it's comfortable on your feet in the winter. But like you said, that doesn't address any of the cooling requirements for the home all summer long. But what are some of these other acronyms that we're, we're discussing? Oh, for sure. So of course, we got radiant in floor. So that, of course, is using hot water or glycol uh, that's going to heat which radiantly through the floor to create heat. Um, we have then HRV, which is a heat loss recovery ventilator. These are mandatory by uh, 
BRH Columbia Building Code, if you if we talk installation levels. Um, then with that as well, there's an ERB, the counterpart to the HRB. Uh, so an HRB only transfers heat and it has a drain that takes water out of the building into your ABS drainage or whatever you have. An ERV is called an energy recovery ventilator. It has a few little bit differences with it, uh, but it is able to transfer moisture, doesn't require a drain, and you're able to take that hot steam from the bathrooms, everything, and put it back throughout your home. And again, moisture, it makes people comfortable. Then ductless splits are, uh, or high wall heads, however you want to call it. A ductless split system is essentially can be a heat pump system or it can be uh, an air conditioning only system. And a ductless split system can have multiple different heads. So they have high wall heads, they have floor and ceiling consoles, uh, they have floor consoles that look like radiators, they have ducted versions of them that you can add ductwork to called a fan coil. Um, so lots of different things. And then of course, we talk cold climate heat pumps, uh, which you can get both in ductless split and in forced air. And forced air is the acronym for anything that has anything moving air. So that would be air handler that has maybe a heat pump attached to it, a furnace with possibly a heat pump or air conditioning, or as well as a fan coil working with ductless splits. As long as it has ductwork, it's considered forced air. Okay. Uh, thank you for articulating that. And so when I think ductless mini splits and on the wall, uh, I just wanted you to clarify for me, like I've gone to some hotel rooms and because they want each hotel room to have its ability to control its temperature, they, they have this, it's not quite a, it's a block hanging out underneath the window and it's loud all night, but at least it's blowing cold air. Now, technology has evolved a, from that. Yeah. And that's called a PTAC. So that's but, a packaged terminal air unit. And, and, but, but when, so I'm using that because I'm hoping most people have kind of seen one of those things and a ductless mini split might have a similar appearance, but it'll just be a much high performing unit, higher performing. Unit. Is that fair enough to say? Fair enough to say, but in now PTAC units, so I'm actually doing some jobs with BC housing uh, for uh, some of their homes, uh, not homes, I should say, but buildings for uh, the less fortunate. Uh, these are halfway houses, stuff like that. They're actually using PTAC units that have very similar efficiency to the ductless splits. So instead of having a two part system where a ductless split has an outdoor condenser and an indoor head, uh, where the PTAC uh, that is used for uh, hotels, motels, um, these BC housing projects. They're just an all-in-one unit, uh, but we are getting able to see better efficiencies come from them, but the ductless split still will. And, and when you say condenser outside, this is like, you know, most people around the side of their house have an air conditioning unit, you know, it kind of stands waist high and it's about whatever, two and a half feet by two and a half feet and three feet off the ground kind of thing. That's a condenser, but now we have heat pumps and cold air heat, Cold air heat pumps? Am I saying that cold, correctly? Cold climate, yeah. Cold climate cold, heat pumps? Yeah. Tell us about those, because I think that's a pretty remarkable piece of technology, especially up here in Canada. It is, uh, I'm going to be very honest, it is an HVAC man's dream, because 10 years ago, um, you said the word heat pump, and people ran so far the other way, it, uh, it just wasn't there. Uh, so a condenser, uh, what I'll pursue is, what is a condenser? Because uh, a condenser is uh, the part of the system that houses the compressor, houses where the refrigerant valves are, and it is the condenser is where you start getting transfer from refrigerant to the air. And so if you're asking for heating, 
the outdoor condenser is take is heating the ref, um sorry is cooling the refrigerant lower than the ambient temperature outside to collect heat from negative 20 or 30 and air conditioning it's heating that refrigerant very hot past what the ambient air temperature is and then it's taking the coal from the air into that refrigerant so that's what a main force of a condenser does it is the means to transfer heat and cool to the refrigerant uh, by what's called latent heat transfer um, so then talk about cold climate heat pumps it's an amazing technology so now i'm going to compare them to the electric car race then it is very All right, true. I, want, I want to hear this i want to hear this yeah i'm going to compare them to the electric car cold climate heat pumps are uh, the newest biggest thing um they just started coming out uh in the last few years now uh, a big one we're going to talk is mitsubishi hyperheat mitsubishi really is the creator of the cold climate heat pump in my eyes uh they came out with the hyperheat series so what these units do being a cold climate heat pump is not meaning that uh, they're better than a traditional heat pump. They're actually better in being able to operate at colder temperatures to still get heat. So Daikin, if we take just a traditional Daikin unit, uh, heat pump unit, uh, typically they, as soon as it gets past negative 10, negative 15, the heating efficiency is gone because the compressor can't get the refrigerant cold enough to make, make heat out of negative 30 or negative 20. And so where these cold climate heat pumps are coming really popular now is, is that these units are small, they're quiet, and they're able to take heat from negative 20 and negative 30 ambient air and put it back in the home. And what has the technology changed? It's inverter technology. It's better everything. And like the electric car race, uh, they're very expensive at this point in time. And the government's trying to subsidize Canadians to move towards these. And it's basically, we're having the issue where myself, am I gonna buy an electric car because I want to, or am I gonna, be, uh, because I want to save the environment? And some people go, well, electric car is 80,000. I can buy my good old Chevy 1500 pickup truck for 60,000. Um, I'm just gonna do that because it's better. And what I, because for me, monetary value beats what I want for electric car. Um, objectives and it's the same in heat pumps um right now i can offer you eight thousand dollars in rebate on a cold climate heat source heat pump or climate cold climate um yeah, heat pump and what the problem is is here's this fourteen thousand sixteen thousand dollar system you're getting eight thousand dollars away uh you're getting a new outdoor condenser new ac new everything and you're paying out of pocket after rebates around $8,000. But some people, they go and they say, hey, I can buy a furnace, I can buy an air conditioner for 10 grand, and I know it's gonna work for, for a very long time. And a lot of people are like, gas is gonna be cheaper to run right at this point in time, so why would I go to an all electric system? Totally. And that's, yeah, and it's just like the electric car race. Well, you know what, you really, I really like that you, you pulled in another analogy because, you know, admittedly, even for, for myself sitting there looking at all the acronyms associated with mechanical and the acronyms matter because the difference between an HRV and an ERV are profound on what they accomplish, even though they functionally just move air in and out of the building in a controlled manner without losing all the heat as they exhaust. It's, it's a pretty neat exchange that takes place. The difference E versus HRV really matters. And for you to tie that to electric cars, I think that's something that's more tangible for a lot of it people is. to say, hey, listen, 
is the $20,000 more money for the electric car worth the difference of the price of gas? I can buy a lot of gas for 20 grand if I can buy a truck for 60 versus an electric car for 80. And, Completely. And so the government, what I hear you saying, the government's got some subsidies going, hey guys, this is better for all of us if, if it reduces the demand on the electrical grid it means there's more electrical space on the grid for electric cars as they come on board um i think the really neat part about the um, the cold source heat pumps is that uh their multiplication energy is like 200 percent what you put in oh. so it's pretty it's pretty neat like it is. versus electric heater you put one watt in you get one watt out this is you put one watt in you get 2.5 watts out so it's really neat that way and and if I may, can I, if I can evolve yeah, on that? Yeah, please jump in. Is let's talk acronyms. So because everyone's going to talk to you about heat pump acronyms, uh, let's talk about the famous one: SEER, Seasonal yeah. Energy Efficiency Ratio, um, right. HSPF, Heating Seasonal Performance Factor, COP, right? <laughs> um, uh, no, now I'm forgetting what COP means. Coefficient of performance. Yeah, performance, yeah. Right, and so now. Here's the great thing. So I had a customer call me and they go, Joel, I'm looking at some heat pump. What the heck does this mean? And I said, well, when we're talking heat pumps, I'll simplify. SEER is, a, uh, is basically a ratio between the energy usage of the unit and noise as well. So the higher SEER equipment you have, it means it's going to be quieter and it's going to be more energy efficient. That's it in a nutshell, because if we start getting into the large portion of what SEER is, it'll get over people's heads. And then what we have is HSPF, which is um, uh, the heating... The heating seasonable performance you know, factor. Yeah. There you go, performance factor. Um, yeah. So that's telling how efficient and how its performance is doing at certain temperatures. And then we have the COP, the coefficient of performance, which in my mind is the most important. That is the ratio to tell you how efficient it is. So um, I'm going to take one of my units that I really love, which is called the TOSOT unit. It's the Apex, which is a central air, uh, central air heat pump. So that's one that has an air handler, the ductwork, everything. At negative 15, this unit has a COP of 2.09. And in layman's terms, that means it's 209% efficient. That means if it produces... 100 kilowatts of power it needs 100 watts of power it's producing 200 watts of heat which is amazing so yeah just to go back in time what would what kind of performance factor would your dad have seen in the 70s and 80s in contrast uh, to be honest uh back then they barely would have a performance factor because they weren't really around back in the 70s and 80s. 90s what we may have seen is that instead of like a 1.0 or sorry, 1.0 means there, we might see like 1.25 or 1.5. Because when you also take in, so baseboard heaters, um, baseboard heaters, thermal electric heating, so uh, thermal resistance heating, I should say. So anything that just takes energy, uh, electricity, and basically heats up a wire to create heat, they're 100% efficient. That every amp or watt of power you put into it, you get the same amount of heating out of it. Now that's where the big thing is is with heat pumps is you're taking out the 100 percent efficiency of that power equals the exact amount of heat is you're actually now turning you know this little bit of power into twice as much heat and then people start seeing that oh i needed 100 amps for these baseboard heaters that i do for my home but now i can get away with a 40 amp two pull 
to do my whole home with a heat pump that's now 200% efficient. Now, if we even say it's negative five out, we're seeing 300%. And you know what, that, that, that's room for a hot tub. That's room for your electric car charger on your panel rather than paying to upgrade your service. Completely. And that's actually a big selling point. Yeah. You got to look at the whole system. And this is, this is why this discussion I think is so relevant is that the house is a system. Mechanical is like the lifeblood of the the livability of the house because insulation keeps the heat the mechanical produces, keeps it in, and it also keeps the cold in um, when we air condition in the summer. And uh, yeah, this just really matters. So I'm, I'm actually really curious and I, I feel the tension, you know, okay, but it's more money. Now, I, I can see the passion in you. I can hear it in your voice. It's worth it. Like, the, the the move towards getting energy efficient air handling units is worth it. Am I am I interpreting this properly? One hundred percent. And uh, I am very passionate about this. And I also will say I'm a Northern Alberta boy too. So I I'm with my boys in the oil stands. I I'm with my friends that are out there producing oil and gas and all this. But the other part of it is, is I have a ten month old daughter. I have a daughter that I want to see a bright future for. And don't get me wrong. I drive gas vehicles when that day comes that I have to do to electric. I won't do it forcefully. I'll make sure that it's right for me at that time. Uh, but when we get into this is when you look at the absolute bottom thing about going to cold climate air source heat pumps and going to neutral carbon neutral technologies is you're not just helping your portion to save the environment you're helping your neighbors who might switch over and help their children or grandchildren the end of the day is is that there's still going to be a need for oil and gas petroleum products to build this equipment we know we can't get away from that but at least we can go to a way to reduce our carbon footprint and we can make responsible decisions with our purchase, especially because, as you said, these are long lasting decisions, because if you decide to replace your old furnace at an 80 percent efficiency, you're stuck with that for 20, 25 years. Or you do your air source heat pump at 95 percent efficiency. That's you're compounding the savings over decades now. And Completely. Yeah. yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and if I may, uh, the other thing that people don't realize, too, is we can do hybrid systems. And that is another big thing. So I have a gentleman who is like, I know I need to go this way, but I'm not ready to give up my natural gas. So you put in, I, what I did is I did an American standard 20 sear heat pump. It meets the rebate and he's able to get $8,000 uh, rebate from Forest BC and NRK Canada. Um, and he's able to have best of both worlds for him. He can, for the shoulder season, and when it gets too cold for the heat pump to operate, he'll still run his propane two-stage American standard 96% furnace. Um, and then when he moves forward, he'll be able to switch that furnace out one day, hopefully for uh, a now an all-electric air. Well, and you know what? Uh, you touched on something there. It's like, I love that you got, there's, there's some flexibility in the transition towards these new models, especially for people that are retrofitting their homes. Uh, yeah, it's not just, it's not just black and white, there's space, but this whole podcast is centered around people who want to take a leadership role in moving into the best practices uh, of, of what it means to be energy responsible and build ecologically conscious homes. The province has called that, you know, the step code or net zero uh, targets, but it's all there's, there's global movement in the direction of, like you said, my grandchildren 
are going to inherit the world I leave them. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it, it's, and let's be very fair too is um, even ourselves in the time that we are born and what we have done and seen. I've seen, you know, if we take the first vehicle I ever owned was a 1979 GMC 1500 with a 305. You know, carburetor. I'm pretty sure that my carbon footprint alone of having that truck for two years is twice as much as what my new truck is. Um, but that also being said, is it's being conscious to what you're doing and being conscious that sometimes you can take things in pace and be able to do little bits at a time for a larger goal. And that's something I want people to start seeing is you can start doing little things. Well, and, you know, so Joel, I got a couple of questions for you, you know, because as as now we're, we're mandatory, I believe we're step three in Kelowna as we yes, talk we right now. Yeah. So step four is coming. Step five is a decade away. But from a mechanical perspective, what are people going to have to do as they're building new homes to like move into step four and step five? Because I know some people are going to want to hit step four now and even hit step five. What does that mean? That's well, different than three. You know what? This is actually a very interesting topic, and I, I'd love to divulge into this one. So when we talk into the step code, um, step three, honestly, if we're talking fundamentals, uh, I can get away with a natural gas furnace and meet minimum prescriptive code from the 2018 BCBC, be it a furnace and a uh, 16 steer air conditioner. Now, when we start getting into threes, uh, from threes into fours and fives, we have to consult a certified energy advisor. Certified energy advisor is our facilitator. So he's going to take in the building envelope, the windows, it's solar heating, coefficient, all this information, and then deliver to me and say, based on this building envelope and what they're trying to achieve, we are going to need a heat pump to do it. And so what we're probably going to see with step fours and step fives, so in a, in a nutshell, a step four is a net zero ready. And a step five is should be technically a net zero. And that fine line of how it's going to work and how it's going to work with it, it's still a little bit unclear uh, because I do have a step five that is running natural gas boilers for backup. Um, but that being said, what we're going to start seeing is we're going to start moving away in step fours from furnace and air conditioner. We're going to move and see in step fours, we might see a furnace and a high sear uh, heat pump. Uh, we might see a air handler, electric air handler with a heat pump. Uh, we also might see um, a system called iFlow or what's also known as a hydronic air handler where maybe the customer wants to use a tankless on-demand system, so a Navient. And then use that system to heat your home as well as give you domestic hot water. And you can link that with a heat pump as well. So I use what's a product called an iFlow, which allows me to give backup heat using the instantaneous hot water tank that's already heating the water for the domestic side and then use it as backup heat. So one natural gas device. And then you actually primarily using uh, a heat pump uh, for primary heating. Because I, you touched on like a little nuance that we've discovered along the path as our, our education has been going. There's primary and supplemental heating systems in a house. And we touched on it with the, I, I don't know why I struggle with this, cold source heat pump. Is that cold? Saying? Yeah, cold climate. Cold well, climate. Now, cold, yeah, cold climate. 
No, now you got me going. Cold climate air source heat pump. Air, cold climate air source heat pump, and because yeah. it's drawing air out of, it's drawing. Actually, it's drawing. I'm from Winnipeg. Like, it's where I graduated high school. So minus 25. It's hard to believe there's heat in the air. But you know, if you can get your refrigerant to minus 35, there's still 10 degrees more heat when it's minus 25, Perfect. and they're pulling that you out. But there is a point where the capacity of that heat pump, for example, bottoms out. Or there's a point where your furnace just isn't big enough to heat the air in your home if it's too leaky and it's too cold outside and you get cold rooms. We've all walked into that upstairs or downstairs room in the house. The door was closed. You walk in, it's like, oh, it's chilly in here. At least I did in Winnipeg. But um, (laughs) there's these supplemental heaters that are often specified uh, according to the building code where you need to be able to match the heating degree days requirement of your climate zone. Are you pulling up my presentation from when I did it on what I? No, no, I, I'm, yeah, you're. No, this is this is yeah. on here. This is yeah. You, you so, hit on the mic. So talk to me. Okay, talk to me. Okay, so when do you need supplementary or known as backup heat? So each place in British Columbia has what's called their degree days and the average temperature. So in Kelowna, it is negative twenty. So that is uh, how the building code states that negative 20, your heating system must be able to keep up with that. So how it is, is you don't need backup heat. If your cold climate heat pump is able to heat below negative 20 to 100% efficiency. So my TOSOT, or also made by Greek, APAX is 100% efficient at negative 20. Technically, by minimum prescriptive code, I don't need backup heat with that unit. Now, let's put common sense into it. I, am I? You don't ever want to trust one system to heating, right? That's why homes had fireplaces put in a decorative appliance. It was because if the furnace ever went, well, you're turning on your fireplace because yes, it created. Yes. Right? Yeah, or yeah, think about it. You ever in a power outage? Your fireplace is always the one that can stay lit and heated. So that was always what we considered this stuff. That was your backup, literally your backup. Literally. And coming from Winnipeg, you probably had three or four of those. And uh, yeah. uh, yeah. More mittens on the inside. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. So, but that's where actually the code is. It's based on your cold degree days and the coldest day of the year, we have negative 20, is what is going to do it, uh, is what's going to tell you when you need that. So now, today you're building a multifamily, so a MER, multi you know, residential building that's going to be step three, four, or five. Now, these are going to be built to, you know, let's be honest, they're going to try to put in the least amount of equipment for the least amount of cost to make money. So what we're seeing is in those types of situations, they don't really use backup heat because you have inside, inside walls. Uh, they may have another source of heat. Um, and because if you think about it, you have two units beside each other, you have two conditions yeah. basis, meaning air transfer through. Where we see the backup heat, even though the building code says this, you don't have to, if it's good till negative 20, you still should put in something just in case. So and best practice, what, is, what would you recommend? So a heat, let's say somebody's building a new home, a heat pump's going to work for Kelowna, it's going to work for lower mainland, but you know, sometimes it gets it gets cold or you just want the redundancy. What should they put in that's in line with the intent of being energy efficient and cost conscious? You know, very good question. And it, this is going to be a personal choice in this one. So when taking it into effect, you can do two things. You can go and say, well, I'm going to put in an electric backup heat into my air handler. And that air handler 
And this is for Force Array at the moment, I'm speaking, because there's multiple redundancies now based on the system. Now, if you're doing Force Air, you're doing an air handler with electric backup uh, and a heat pump. That's always my number one go-to. But what happens when you have a power outage? You have no heat. Everything's electrical. So this is where natural gas is where I would look at looking at a small fireplace. Something that's energy efficient, a direct vent, something that, you know, still is a carbon producing product. But at the end of the day, if we had a power outage here in Kelowna, which we have, and if you take West Bank, Summerland and Peachland, the transmission, there was a fire up there uh, this year with forest fires. If that transmission line would have gone, uh, that served all three of those municipalities and we would never have had power for all three of them. So what we have to take into effect is at the end of the day i always will say put electric backup in into your air handler with your heat pump because that's the way to do it now we're talking trying to reduce carbon emissions now that's the only really big thing about a natural gas fireplace that it is the winner and it is the breadwinner is that if there is a power outage it is uh, negative 30 uh, outside uh, absolutely now thankfully you know we're fortunate in Kelowna that's not necessarily regular but it is and i appreciate it's it's a consideration so for where you are in your context if you have two utilities coming to your home there's some backup for you if the gas goes down you have electric if the electric goes down you got gas you're not stranded um yeah yeah if i can see a case yeah you yeah and that's actually the very interesting one that fire with it caused a huge upstorm uh because west uh, part of west bay beachland and summerland were all on one transmission line one line controlled power to the entire community. Could you imagine if that was taken out in the middle of winter? Um, how long would we be without power? How and that's long? about 100,000 people in the valley is what I'm, uh, I'm guessing. Yeah, about that, I would say so. And so the thing is, is the redundancies that we do is, you know, it may not be natural gas, but you should maybe then look at ways of, you know, finding how you're going to have a supplementary heater. Well, and, and that's where, you know, even there's a case you can see people house as a system going, hey, photovoltaic, uh, can I get a power wall or a battery bank installed in my house so that, you know, when the power goes out, I'm, I can run my electric heater for, for a longer time through the night, whatever you need to do. Um, Completely. Again, yeah. So, okay. So thinking about just a couple of situations that are HVAC related, because this on the new home side we're talking, but there are people that are going to renovate. They're going to update their existing home being an energy advisor. You know, there's, there's even a, I think a case study in one of the exam uh, questions where um, a person renovates the outside of their home. They put in some really energy efficient walls because that's just, they want to stop the, the heat from leaking out. They seal up the, the leaks. So it's now more airtight and all of a sudden it's cool and clammy on the inside. Oh, yeah. yeah. So what's, yeah. what's happened here and what do people need to be aware of as they start to improve the efficiency of their home from an envelope standpoint? Well, right then and there, that tells me ventilation is not there. And the, what that means is the air is not being able now to get outside the building envelope. Um, so actually, when we talk heat dives and uh, mechanical retrofits and renovating, you've hit the biggest thing that I've had every time. I have upgraded my building envelope. It is tight. But now my house feels stale. My house feels stuffy. My, you know, it, it just feels dirty. And what that is, is not being able to have the proper HVAC system and the, also the proper ventilation system to remove it. And so in this case, when if you're ever looking at upgrading 
to uh, a better building envelope, your next consideration should always be, how am I ventilating my home? And let's be honest, it's not sometimes very hard to put in an HRV or an ERV in an existing home without ripping apart the entire basement or however it's built. Um, so another thing is just making sure that your mechanical system, the return airs, if that's what you have, a forced air, is able to start getting what's called air changes to make it better with purification in that. And so it is a very interesting question when it comes down to it. And, and Joel, so, you know, this, the whole point of this podcast, we're not, you know, here to solicit business, but like this is where this is where you come in as a, a mechanical design, not just a contractor, but it's like, okay, Mrs. Jones, you've, you're planning a renovation to, to seal up your house so it's more efficient, but talk to somebody that understands the mechanical because if you do that you still your house still needs to breathe and and the last thing you want to do is find yourself on the the backside of a renovation feeling like your house is worse than it was before you had done it uh and your voice as a mechanical contractor really matters in that in that planning process period so that the house breathes house breathes <laughs> no and it does and you'd be very surprised you know it's such a great thing with homeowners and renovation, all this, because when you actually take it into consideration, do you know that, you know, your car breaks down, you're angry, but I'll make it do. You want to know how angry someone realizes their mechanical system is important. Don't have hot water. Don't have AC. Don't have heating. (laughs) I will tell you, I will tell you that I can get some people just don't realize it until it's missing and gone. And so one thing I strive for when talking with renovators and uh, the customers that are renovating is making them realize that don't forget the heartbeat of your home. And a lot of people don't realize that. They look at the surface. They look at the skin, which is your building envelope. They look at your windows, which I can say, maybe that's your eyes, right? But they forget about the blood, which is your air that's yeah. going through the home, your water, your this. And so a lot of times I say to customers in renovation, if you are tightening it up, you know, please set some money aside to maybe look at some upgrades to the heating and ventilation system because that's going to be the biggest thing of comfort for you with tightening yes. your air, air envelope. And it's quality of life for sure. Completely. And a lot of customers are not a lot of companies will tell you that when we talk heating systems, people always talk efficiency. They always talk about how it's going to operate with the house, but no one talks about how loud is it going to be? Is it going to drown out my TV or comfort? Not, Oh, am I going to be sitting there with a dry nose and dry eyes? That's not because of your house. That's because your ventilation system and people don't realize comfort is actually the biggest pro the biggest thing we need to tackle that you have no idea that we're tackling. Yeah, because it should be a, a properly designed mechanical system should be silent and be in the background uh, and just and doing its job to heat or to condition the space and also get fresh air in. Now, I want to touch on a couple of pieces because I've, I've been in the trades for a, a little over a dozen years now. And as soon as they started talking about ventilating a house, the biggest gripe we hear on the job site is they're just turning on, you spend all your money heating this air and then you're putting a bathroom fan that runs all the time and you're blowing your hot air. You've spent all this money to heat, you're blowing it to the outside so you can suck more cold air in through the windows and then heat. It's just the stupidest thing. And it's just like this really pessimistic perspective of what uh, forced air ventilation is. And an ERV 
is like a set of lungs for your house that does this really miraculous thing. And I, I'd like you to explain that because I feel like you can do that really well. <laughs> well, I'll give it my best shot. So we're talking again, our acronym, HRVs, ERVs. So when we're talking about those, that's what's replacing bath fans these days. And what they do is they have four ports on them. So the first, and an ERV and HRV are exactly the same in this case, is they have air that is taken from the bathrooms, which then goes in a diagonal across to an exhaust outside the house. So that's where two pipes come from. So it's taking the hot, humid air from your bathroom and then putting it through and then exhausting it out. But before it gets exhausted out, the, uh, the second and fourth port is a fresh air comes in. So ambient cold air from outside gets crossed with this warm, humid stream. And then it gets pumped back into, in this case, if it's forced air, it'll be forced back into your return air to be circled around your home. And it, what it does is heat loss recovery ventilator. It is taking the heat that is lost through the bathrooms, crossing it with fresh air to heat that air so it's less expensive to heat, and then putting back in a home. Uh, and the ERV works the exact same, except instead of a cord that goes off at a diagonal, is it actually has what's called an empathy wheel that allows the moisture to be transferred, uh, where the HRV just drains down the drain. Uh, but yeah. Which is just actually, so it's a really important distinction. It's like you're pumping cold air into your house that's getting preheated by the same air that's getting evacuated so you're getting fresh air coming in and it's not fresh cold air it's fresh heated air and the efficiency on these things is like in the 90s if yes, i'm yes so yeah i can't tell you the exact but they are in the 90s um the other thing to be said too i have done an experiment and i've experimented many times and i really like doing it is um and they're not meant to do this with hrv or erv so i don't <laughs> I, i'm giving you, this I'm is giving you off a the record yeah million dollar idea here is actually a couple of my homes i tied the bath bands because the problem with the hrvs and erbs right at the moment they don't have the cfm requirement to suck all the moisture out of a bathroom so what we see is we see um drywall after five Six years we start seeing water stains stuff like that so where a bath fan does beat an hrv is the amount of cfm that's able to take out effectively and basically take the moisture out and you never have to worry about it so what i've done is one time or a few times i should say i've attached the bath fan into the hrv so that instead of the hrv being boosted i just put it on a low um, the running at low setting, 24 continuous, the building code said. And then what I did is I took the bath fan and when the bath fan turned on, that was boosting the air and it would boost it through the HRV and you would get the best of both worlds. You only had two penetrations, even though you may have had four bath fans. Now, it's not meant to be like that because an HRV and ERV must be a balanced system. Same amount of air goes out, same amount of go air goes in, so you get proper heat transfer. Now, why I did that was, well, we need to limit the penetrations, but this is a multi-million dollar home where they don't want to have any issues with water. Um, so what happens is now I got this air blowing past the core, but the, now the air coming in that's crossing with it is running slower. So what's happening is, is I'm getting a little less heat transfer, but I got two better points. I got less penetrations with more bathroom fans, and I was able to take more moisture out, more everything out, and protect the dwelling. And so yeah. the million-dollar idea would be is if anyone could make an HRV or an ERV 
that has air switches and it just runs at a constant volume and it would know when the air got boosted by a bath fan it would be great if it could boost the supply yeah, air fan yeah. going through um and you could have bath fans and, and interlock with an hrv erv system and it's a great way to do it it's just no one's ever come up with it yet so i'll figure out how that works yeah, yeah, you know what? But you know what I appreciate about you just described the creative problem solving that's actively taking place right now as we are marching down this path towards building smart, energy efficient homes. You're taking my client doesn't want more penetrations. I don't want to have to run more pipe. How can I use existing systems to accomplish the end goal, which is a livable, efficient home that manages the moisture well and doesn't just waste the the hot air on the exhaust vent anyways, which is what bath fans typically do is just all the air the bath fan sucks out goes right outside and isn't recovered at all. So at least you're sending it backwards so that some of the heat gets recovered and all of the moisture is evacuated. Completely. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's a crazy thing. It's just out. Uh, my, my saying is outside of the box solution. And I always say that when it comes to step code mechanical, you are literally thinking outside the box and trying to build better. And another thing is too. So I've been saying, HRV and ERV inlets taking that heat away from the bathrooms. But uh, let's go outside the box. I also put them behind fridges. The compressor from a fridge is one of the highest heats that's created in the kitchen next to your oven, but no one thinks to collect it. Well, you collect it. The unit right, which running- it's, and it's working against your air conditioner all summer long because it's pumping heat into your space and your air conditioning is trying to cool that back down. Completely. So at the end of the day, you're able to take the HRV, take that wasted heat anyway and cross it, and you get another two benefits. Your compressor is running cooler, meaning it's going to last longer, meaning your fridge is going to be better, and you're taking that excess heat and actually putting it, instead of just heating your kitchen, you're using it to create better energy efficiency. And you could do that anywhere. Um, you could do it with a dryer, but the problem is lint, so I wouldn't recommend that. But anywhere, <laughs> of, but anywhere of high heat load, um, is great to take away. And uh, yeah, I hide them behind fridges. And I haven't uh, haven't got a complaint yet, but it's worked really, really well to take away that excess heat. So, uh, Joel, we've we've covered a lot of territory here, and uh, and I'm just I'm really grateful so far for what we've discussed. And I can I, I know that as soon as as soon as we end this call, I'm gonna be like, there's just so many more questions that are gonna flood in. But you know, as we as we drive towards a close here, what um what are some things that that to you are just easy best practices things that our listeners can take away? They're considering mechanical, considering step code. Uh, just some good sound advice for people. Oh well, good sound advice. So you know, at the end of the day, when you're looking at doing your renovation or a new home construction, uh, my biggest takeaway for you is make sure that at the end of the day. You and your significant other or you and your contractor, who or whoever, are at an understanding of what you need to achieve and want to achieve based on do you want to be carbon neutral? Do you want to reduce your carbon footprint? What at the end of the day do you want to do? Because the problem that I run into a lot with renovators, new home construction, everything, is they go, Joel, you know what? There's so many options. You tell me what I want, what I should do. But the problem is, is what I would tell you to do might not be in budgetary constraints. It might not be what you exactly want. And you're just wanting to know what I'm recommending. The one thing is just research the equipment, research what you want to do. Because I'm going to tell you, we have this great thing called the internet. 
And uh, if my grandpa and my dad had it back in 1950, 1960s, 70s, uh, they would have had a lot more information provided to them to do this kind of systems and do this where you have the resources to do it. Um, other things I'd like to speak to too uh, as a customer and home builders and everyone is you need to consult with your certified energy advisor and really make sure that when you're doing these builds that you tell your certified energy advisor exactly what you're trying to achieve and what they want their job is to facilitate your project and get you as many rebates as possible make sure your house is following the energy efficient targets and they will come to me and say this is what the customer is wanting to do this is how i follow it can you help um, so it really, you know, at the end of the day, your certified energy advisor should be your best friend on any step co build, and they should be. And I know many great advisors, and none of them will put you into a bad position, but they will do take your needs and wants and turn it into a reality. Um, and the last thing is, too, is don't be scared of equipment you may not have heard of. A lot of people, they stick with the main three, Lennox, Carrier, Train. Well, I will tell you, there are many smaller boutique companies out there that make beautiful functioning equipment with great warranties. And don't be afraid if you can't find really reviews on them, because as a mechanical contractor and many people I know are mechanical contractors, we would never sell something we wouldn't put in our own home. And if you do, well, that, that's, a, that's a personal conscience question. Yeah. Which, which actually is something that I wanted to ask you because not every listener we have lives in Kelowna or even BC. How do how, if you were to tell your your grandma that lived in another city how to make sure they're getting a, a quality mechanical contractor? What are some things she should be looking for when she's making that decision? Oh, that's actually a great question. A big one, actually, no one actually believes me on this. Is how open they are. Are they trying to sell you something or are they listening to your concerns? Um, I went to a customer today where they had another company come out and the company said, this is what you need, this is what you want, this is what you hear. Um, sent them a quote and that was it. But I sat there for an hour with these great people talking about what they're wanting to do. So a big one is openness of the company. Are they just trying to sell you something or are they going to try to help build you in what you need to? Um, one thing as well is uh, same with me, a lot of mechanical companies do not break down their quotes, but many mechanical companies will gladly tell you that the equipment is about this much, this much, this much, but they don't really break it down because, of course, what they don't want happening is somebody getting attached to their breakdown and then giving it to an air mechanical company. Uh, yeah. But always, if you want clarity, a good mechanical company will explain everything to you and not try to get your debit card or your credit card right away. Um, really anyone that seems to be in a rush in my eyes, it seems to be really trying to just make as much money as possible, um, which is never a bad thing, but it is a sign of, are they thinking about you and your house and how it's going to operate? Or are they going to forget your name as soon as they put in that system and you never hear from them again? Yeah. Yeah. There's that relationship matters. Definitely. Uh, and I, just because it popped into my mind, I'm going to ask you another one. Last, uh, I'm going to say last question. It might may or may not be, but the conditioning of uh, so once you build a home and you everything's installed, you get your building permit. You know, like or your sorry, you get your occupancy permit. You can you can get your air conditioning or your ventilation system balanced. Condition commissioned is the word I think I'm looking for. Talk to me about that because I think that's a super critical piece that 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 is a new term for me, and I've been in the building industry for a long time. So tell me about that. 
Ah, commissioning's been around since 1920, since yeah, yeah, the press start a boiler for a furnace. Uh, com- what all commissioning is, and actually I had to explain it to my new dispatcher, is commissioning is a process of, in my company, it's a second set of eyes, so I do not have the same installer commission the unit due to the fact that I want to make sure the quality is up there. Fresh pair of eyes, we'll see if there's a mistake, anything like that. But what commissioning is, making sure that if it's natural gas, commissioning will be making sure it's burning the right amount of gas for what you need, making sure that refrigerant pressures are when operating um, PT charts. Um, it's making sure the system is operational. Um, yeah. Now, in the, in, that, in the electric system, same thing. Is the amp draw from my coils right? Is it in operating? Is my refrigerant doing correctly compared to my PT charge for refrigeration? Um, now, is my HRV 100% balanced? Yeah. Now, the, ba- the balance piece is the interesting as we move into more balanced housing systems and the ventilation rates in each room and all that stuff is what seems to be coming up. Yeah. And a lot, <laughs> now I'll tell you, part of residential is here's the thing with balancing is a lot of people let's say you have a finished basement your furnace is in the basement finished basement and you're a bungalow so you have one floor above um not many people nowadays have t-bar ceilings where you can access dampers so the minimum prescriptive code states that the register is the balancing damper for the system so that's not a really good way to balance the system and a lot of people don't realize that the balancing of the system is just sliding your register um, in most cases. Um, so when I do crawl spaces where I have access to the ductwork, um, I actually put balancing dampers in each one. And then when we do a commissioning, I actually go around with a velometer and I will vol- make sure that it's all correct. Now, when I go into homes that have drywall ceilings with no balancing dampers, but they have used registers as their balancing damper, I will go and adjust it to a point, but I'll actually walk the customer around and go, can you, when you're living in here, give me a call in a couple of weeks. Tell me how this room feels because sometimes the customer will find out that they might want this register closed more, this register open more based on how they're feeling in that home. Um, a lot of part nine buildings, single family dwelling, it is a personal balance to how you feel. And I will be very honest as a mechanical contractor, I will feel a room completely different than you do, Brandon. You'll completely feel it different than this customer, this customer, this customer. What is 100% needs to be balanced, and there's no ifs, ands, or buts, is your HRV or ERV. And I also want to make a very clear, size statement that there are great products like the Fantech 120 Hero, which can balance itself by the control. That doesn't mean that it's balancing. You still have to balance accordingly with dampers and all this. You just are now able to adjust fan speed with the home hold controller instead of where you had to damper down below uh, with manometer. So a lot of people confuse that this uh, touch button balancing. It says balance on the title, so it must have got all of it. (laughs) And it's not. And and it's not. So every ERV and HRV has to be balanced. Um, even I do specialty HRVs and ERBs such as Zenders, which are from Germany, and um, I did a whole house in them. They actually come out Zender from Vancouver, and they will actually balance the system with their professionals. Cool. Well, Joel, this has been awesome. I want to say well, thank you I, very much. This has been great. I love to talk, so this was a great thing for me. Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. 
Thanks for listening to the Net Zero to Hero podcast. Be sure to visit our website at netzerotohero.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and gain access to our free resources and materials. 